Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Today's episode is a continuation of our last episode um, with Michelle Rapp, who can be found on Twitter at Kilnfeen Potter, talking about toxic masculinity. Uh, part one really focused on kind of the lore of Jace. His history is both a character that was used in marketing as well as the storyline. We left off with Jace having been stranded on Ixalan, um, talking about how he may have become a better representation at that point of healthy masculinity, and then looking at kind of how the storyline has gone in the last year, especially for us Vorthos community, into War of the Spark, where there was another shift backwards in, in, in our mind with the way Jace is handled. We don't know where Jace is going to be going moving forward, and this is something that we are paying attention to and interested in. Today, we're going to kind of move forward with talking about another character and uh, more recent magic lore, and then also to finally kind of talk about really what is toxic masculinity, maybe some suggestions on ways that we might combat this, especially for someone like myself who is a, a male who probably grew up with these representations and kind of grew up with this mindset. Um, and before we also get back into the show today, I also want to talk about a new partnership that the Goblin Lore podcast has. We are now partnered with the um, Grinding Coffee Company, which is a Black-owned LGBT coffee company that has been sponsoring streamers and gamers, um, and we uh, applied for and have been accepted in. So if you go to our uh, Twitter page, you can actually, at the Goblin Lore Pod, you can find a discount code to order coffee. And I can say that as somebody who does love coffee and is a big supporter of coffee in all of its forms, and as goblins, and we've talked about this in the show before with Ravnica and how goblins are probably involved very heavily in the uh, coffee trade, um, I have already had their Mexican chocolate, and we ordered an African blend, and I can say that it is great coffee. The company is very responsible. They've been communicative. And their mission is great, and I do recommend you go check them out. So moving forward, we'll be kind of giving them a little plug because they are, you know, kind of in some ways, you know, somebody who's willing to kind of let us get their message out there. The Grinding Coffee Company, um, and they can be found on Twitter also. So for now, just sit back, and we're going to jump right into part two. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a real challenge as of Orthos uh, to sort of try to piece together what is going on um, and to try to reframe my expectations of, about what character development should be and how it how it has evolved. So so Jace is um, for a while was a really wonderful example of healthy masculinity. Um, it is difficult to say if that perspective has continued, but um, and uh, but up until recently, yeah, he was he was awesome. Yeah, I mean, and we have had almost a full year without any real Gatewatch folk. Just from storyline standpoint, it's it's been over a year since um, War of the Spark. Mm -hmm. And yeah. War of the Spark, I think, was supposed yeah. to like end that whole chapter. So I'm not entirely yeah. surprised. No, yeah, and I think that's that's good. Hopefully. <laughs> gives the has given them a break to, to kind of tell some other stories, fit some other things in there, and maybe figure out what they want to do with these characters that are going to be coming back continuously and trying to build character arcs where they can develop and not have that arc end in a sheer cliff and then start over. Mm -hmm. We've kind of seen with Jace a little bit. Well, and when we were getting ready for the episode, you two mentioned another character that. It, 
kind of fits into the, the overall real world topic of masculinity that we want to talk about today. Oh, Luca. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it would be good to hit on Luca too, because I do think it's very relevant to this. Luca, to be clear, is the best example of toxic masculinity um, embodied within a planeswalker that we have seen in a really long time. Um, he is essentially what I would consider to be the guest on of the <laughs> planeswalker world. Um, and, and it's it's a really it's interesting because it's such a conscious decision on the um, story part, which is so interesting because for a long time, I think people still don't realize that Luca is the bad guy in Ikoria. Um, as it, so, the story, which is written by Django Wexler, um, I think. Oh gosh, what was the story called? I can't remember. Um, a layer of behemoths. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, layer of behemoths, which is really quite good. Um. Sundered Bond, it, that's it, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Sundered Bond. Oh, Lair Behemoth. Yeah, Sundered Bond. I'm so sorry. I should know these things. Um, <laughs> so the thing about Luca, though, is that he he was always... It's interesting because as a mono-red character, we don't often see this aspect of mono-red embodied in the Planeswalker, right? Um, when we've looked at mono-red Planeswalkers in the past, we've looked at, you know, Jaya, um, Jaya Ballard, Chandra, Dorey's kind of villainous in the sort of like, I'm going to take all your stuff and I'm very greedy. Excuse me, do you know what way. cast you're on right now? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he's also really cool, but he's also just a very different aspect of red. Um, <laughs> um, we get Tybalt. I mean, that's one of the other kind of red that we'd have. Yeah, red is mischievous. Yeah, in that case, like red is mischievous. mischievous but is, yeah. Red, it's what defines Luca throughout this entire story is his need, his primal need for things to be the way they were. And it's it's almost like nostalgia taken to its worst place in a sense that um, even though he becomes bonded to this beautiful, gorgeous cat, cat, bat, cat with wings, this flying cat tiger, um, and he has ventured outside the walls of Dronith. Like he continues to keep this hope alive that no matter what happened, he can still return to the way things were. Whereas his um, uh, his fiance, um, it's not Janora. <laughs> there is an element here that is the 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 make a Coria great again. I mean, when we talk yeah. about Luca, yeah, it's this nostalgia Absolutely. from a time that was good for a specific subset of people. And it's it's definitely what what is so interesting about um, this particular. Oh, sorry, can you, I'm just going to pause for a second because it's going to drive me crazy that I cannot remember his um, his fiance's name. It's not Janora, but I always think it's Janora. Jarena. Oh, Kudra. Jarena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jirina, the, yeah. yeah. The, okay, yeah. sorry. Jarena. No, that's great because <laughs> I understand that that I hate that sensation. So. <laughs> uh, so, so the thing is like, 
it is kind of like make Jonathan great again, which is what General Kudrow wanted, right? But General Kudrow, he is set up to be, you know, that meme, which is like, this is the, this is like the TV villain, but this is the real villain. Like General Kudrow's portrait is like the TV villain, like the written villain is supposed to be General Kudrow, but the real villain is Luca. Um, it, and it's, it's a very intriguing because um, as a white black um, aligned individual, uh, General Kudrow believes in the structure and order of Jonath because he believes that this it's almost like this very pure unemotional pragmatic way of looking at things um that the structure must stand and he must protect the people within at all costs whereas um Luca's sort of understanding of what his life was on Jonath is is incredibly emotional it's it's all about life was good or at least life was understandable and i want things to be the way they were because they were good for me uh, not necessarily good for everyone in the broader long-term view that say kudrow was looking at but he always sees things in relation to himself which is what makes um his fiance jarina's uh evolution and character growth very interesting because unlike him she is able to reconcile her feelings about what's going on while also understanding and being pragmatic about the changes that need to be made in order for all of humanity to survive. Um, which is, and it's, it's of course like this wonderful subversion within the novel when you think like Lucas, of course, the, 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 um, the usual suspect protagonist, um, but instead we have this incredible black woman who um, becomes the future of, of human humanity on a court, at least where Dranith is concerned, which is always exciting. Well, I mean, um, it's playing on that idea that the the male character might be the, like you said, that the, that is set up to be the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what, but what it makes Luca particularly interesting about, uh, interesting, and I think a very good example of toxic masculinity is that he is vehemently, I guess, um, almost fanatically um, stuck to this idea of the way things were and how it must be this way no matter what happens, no matter what the cost is. And he sees himself as being emblematic of what that time was. And if anyone wants to disrupt that vision, like he will destroy them. In a lot of ways, what I found interesting about him that is, that is kind of toxic, and I I like seeing characters with this being shown sort of negatively. He has kind of the the Thanos thing, or there's some heroes who do this where they have the plan in their in their eyes. They are the only one who can do the thing, so they're going to make it happen over everyone else, no matter what anyone else says. And yeah, there there are properties that have heroes who do that, and it's not a terribly heroic setup. So I, I like seeing those storylines where they kind of they're taking that convention and then showing it from a different light and saying this is probably not something to uh, aspire to. I and I mean the a perfect rebuttal to that was Shira. I'm sorry, spoilers for Shira. If you haven't seen season the latest season, which is amazing, but um, when um. Adora goes and tries to get the failsafe herself. She says, like, I'm the only one who can do this. I'm the only one who can make this happen. And Mara shows up and tells her, what do you want? 
And eventually with Katra, with Katra's help, like she is able to get the fail safe safely, but that was a team effort. That wasn't just her by herself. She was able to adapt and allow her true self to come through and basically say, you know, it's okay to let people you love help you. Which in this case with Luke is like, no, I must do this by myself like a man. Mm-hmm. Well, so we, so we, you kind of, we've, we've now hit on this term toxic masculinity and around masculinity. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about kind of what we're meaning when we're saying that and kind of how that may have played out in a couple of different avenues when it came to Jace's early use and then something like Luca. So what do we kind of, when we say toxic masculinity, what does that really mean? Um, I think that toxic masculinity at its root comes out of a desire or fear um, um, in a lot of cis men, cis privileged men, um, who believe that the only way that society can be preserved is for men to take on a dominant position in a certain codified set of behaviors. Um, those behaviors include being physically like strong. Um, they also being intellectually like capable. Um, you must also be, you know, financially solvent and, and extremely rich. Um, and all, all emotion must be channeled through like rage or protection pride or something like it's mm-hmm. it's very narrow band of emotion that you're allowed to express um so essentially you must live your life as a very attractive strong statue man who can only be either angry or protect you so kind of like a golem but like <laughs> not great um <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, and, and I would say, too, that when we're talking about maybe we talked about this a little bit at the top of the show with kind of the, the geekdom element to it. But there is this kind of idea that there may be some elements that of gatekeeping and kind of the intellectual prowess that has appealed to people that maybe are drawn to the hobbies that we're talking about and that we're playing in. And they may not have kind of that alpha male in terms of the physical prowess but they believe that that can then be made up for by confidence intelligence being smarter knowing topics that even if they have less training in it their opinion still is very important in part just because of being male even though they may not acknowledge that I think that's right, exactly correct. And a lot of toxic masculinity is defined by exclusion. Um, it's it's as much defined by exclusion as it is who's as it is by who is being let in. Um, I think the Big Bang Theory is actually a very good example of this sort of geeky toxic masculinity, in the sense that women can't possibly be nerdy, or if they're nerdy, then they have to take on inherently masculine traits in order to fit in as it were and it's it's kind of this strange um it's it's strange it's just strange i, I guess for me because in in a way these places like game stores and 
video games or all these like really wonderful nerdy um, pursuits were always per perceived and marketed as like a release or a safer space than what you can get out there. However, you know, if this is the only way for men to, or geeky men to claim dominance, um, this means that they cannot allow other marginalized genders and other folks to come in um, because that would dilute the um, inherent culture of male superiority, I suppose, that has suffused this space. And I would say that, you know, that this may have been kind of that image of Jace. And, and he was marketed as kind of, as we've said, the average magic player, especially magic players who may be identified with the blue part of the color pie, which I would say that that, that blue to me really does kind of personify a lot of just power. And when you're learning to play a game, you're even if you don't fully feel blue aligned, you're probably playing blue. You're probably either having to choose to play blue or choose to play something that could beat blue, especially at the time when Planeswalkers were the new thing and people were learning the game. Well, and you, and you look at Jace's early image too. I mean, he has, he's very intelligent, which fits a lot of the, the people who were kind of in that group, the, the geekdom people who wanted to try to, you know, make this their, their, their men's club because they can't go in to do this you know the cigar smoking in the place where these people are so they have to have the game stores their version of the exclusionary space but also like there's a lot to jace below the surface he doesn't he doesn't give you a lot of information about himself out front and a lot of those folk are similar not terribly social and i think a mm -hmm. lot of people who aren't terribly social kind of have that image of of themselves they don't present a lot out and i think jace fits that as well and i think that race reflected in jace's earlier early use of his power right like mm -hmm. you don't you don't negotiate for what you want you just take it if you're a man you just take what you want just, the just entitlement like, yeah the entitlement yeah you just you just you, you grab the information by a tear you, you sling it over your shoulder and you <laughs> drag it into your library case like this is what you do um and that's why it, it was so revelatory to see Jace asking permission, getting consent before going to someone's mind. Um, because when you do that, it inherently humanizes the person you're speaking to. It shows respect. It shows um, a sense of empathy and compassion, which are a part of blue and something that people don't like to talk about as much, which is sad because I'm a blue mage. But um, <laughs> But it is, it, it takes Jace from being someone who in, in, I guess, like, in a weird telepathic version of a chat at a club, like, just take the women, like, yeah, just take the information to, you know, someone who actually is a human being and sees other people as human. Right. Well, and, and there is elements to him that is really stuck in kind of that vanity piece where he does alter his image to look younger. He is kind of about that you know we talk about those relationships maybe were kind of you know he like accuses liliana of using him for sex he's you know it's there's a, an inherent awkwardness to him that is kind of well i i would say you know when we talk about this idea of privilege it is that being confronted with that idea that um 
a lot of toxic masculinity, I think, shows up when people are actually confronted with this idea that, you know, thinking that being a male is, this is a very, it's kind of difficult to say because we, so when I put a call out for this today, um, or uh, when I put a call out about this episode, we kind of had a response right away that this, that the idea of toxic masculinity does not exist. And if it were to exist, it would only be because of toxic femininity. And the idea is that feminism is trying to take away masculinity inherently. It's trying to take away this perceived imbalance and be, from the perspective of, I think, a lot of men who haven't ever had to confront this about themselves and that, you know, I especially think of this in the maybe the nerdier community. I know that when I was younger, I probably would have fallen into elements of this with, you know, I was a runner. I was a thin, not virulent in some ways, masculine male. Um, my intelligence may have been the thing that I saw as being kind of my defining characteristic. And I also would not have thought that I had privilege or I had anything with being a male because I was bullied by other bigger men. And so to me, how could I possibly have that? Now, you know, a lot of times that led people to seek out the geeky, nerdy communities. And now they're even being kind of seen in this, it's being presented to them and they're having to actually confront this idea in their well, yeah. communities. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's challenging the power fantasy because that's ultimately what Jace is um, or Jace was for a long time. And I think Luca is a direct critique and rebuttal of that. Um, and the problem that a lot of people have when you confront them about toxic masculinity is that you're basically pointing out that the power fantasy is in fact a fantasy. Um, that if you actually do a lot of research, um, this sort of thing never really truly existed. And it is a, and, that, and I think that's a wonderful way of looking at Luca as well. Like if you look at him, he always had assumptions about um, Jarena and what she wanted in life. And it turns out she wants something very, very different. And so his inability to handle that, to handle the way that um, Drenith has moved on, the way the bonders um, relate to their animals and are able to also help Drenith, that's just not something that he can accept um, because he believes in something that never was actually there. And that can be really groundbreaking for a lot of people. Um, and that can be really mentally like disturbing as well. So it's, it's the main reason why he, like Luca sparked because he could not accept the fact that he, his reality, <laughs> that reality could not fit, was not matching what was in his head. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. He was confronted with it and that is what happened. Yeah. You know? He sparked because of cognitive dissonance. Yes. <laughs> no, yes. I, you're joking about it, but he did. He yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that, a topic I want to talk about. No, I, I like that's. I hadn't put that together. I'm glad you were talking about Luke because I read the story shortly after it came out. But yeah, now that's that's how he sparked. It's, yeah, and who knows what on earth is going to happen to him across the multiverse? Like he's going to show up on. I don't know, Tarkir, and be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Bring on the dragons. It's like, oh, okay. And then like he gets his butt beat, and he's like, no, Tarkir <laughs> knows he's 
<laughs> Every time he planeswalks is just in response to a different cognitive distortion. Yeah. Yes. Oh no, I made a should statement. I made a should. Well, um, I got the opportunity, and I'm sad that I did not have the um, recording going to get Michelle's just very <laughs> visceral reaction because. We're talking about this image of Jace and maybe what the players kind of had in mind for Jace versus uh, even what wizards are intended or who knows what was going on. Uh, but uh, at Barbarians Rid One, who is somebody that does listen to the cast, had sent me an image that he it was on. I know that it was on Reddit. He had uh, told me that the the post that he had seen it from recently was in like 2018 on Free Magic, which is kind of the worst place to go to the internet, but. When this event actually happened, I remembered it. When he sent me this image, I was transported back, and I don't remember the exact year, but there was an image taken at GPs of basically a flyer that was in bathrooms, uh, men, male bathrooms, I am guessing, um, <laughs> that basically says, I am Jace the Mind Sculptor of Picking Up Women. I'll teach you to get your Liliana. No, <laughs> and it, it's got no. some pictures of cosplayers, and I like. I don't actually. I was trying to like figure out if I knew who they were, but it's got a picture of Liliana and Jace Planeswalkers uh, cosplayers. We we're assuming that they are not aware that their image was going to be used this way. <laughs> I'm pretty certain that they were not. No, no. So, for people who don't know, there is this concept of the pickup artist, which was basically. It is toxic masculinity. It's that this is what women really want. They want an alpha male. They may not tell you that they want an alpha male, but you have to learn to get around that by any means necessary to seduce women. It's as easy as untap, upkeep, draw. And just just to go back to something you said, Michelle, it's it's like they're a golem or something. And it's like they're looking for the specific programming that they can use to effectively pick up women. Like it's Yeah. I like I I You had never seen this, which I am I I'm actually excited that you had this. never seen it. I had never seen this before. I just, the immediate thing I can think of is like, oh my God, this is like, this would work for maybe like bower birds, you know, like, you know, uh, 10 easy ways to decorate your little twink hut in order to make it more appealing to lady bower birds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> or like a parrot of paradise. Like, let me teach you the latest head bobbin in order to get them, get them mating on. You know, like, I, I just, I, I can see how that would work for a, a non-human maybe but like humans though but, but i mean humans, this is though. based right like this is based in that whole idea of the of the pickup artists that are dating quote-unquote dating coaches um who are trying to teach you everything from like way i, I mean I, I i see this stuff in here because i had seen it on the internet before this but it's the the subtle insult compliment to tear a woman down while you're also seeming to give them an an a compliment to like lower their basically because this would let you get women that maybe you wouldn't normally be able to get in terms of I, just, it is yeah. the gamification of starting a relationship yes it is the gamification I, yeah. of of relationship not even relationship, but it's like the gamification that 
clearly objectifies women and reduces them to nothing more than a gold medal at the end of the challenge run i i like i could just imagine like a a, somebody creating like an a 16-bit game where you like you you maneuver a character and you like bring them over to like ooh that profile is like a pokemon or something like that where you like ooh you go over and you know that woman is a level 10 and you're level six but if you keep nagging her her confidence levels will go down and then you can throw the pokeball or whatever right well i mean what's What's funny is whoever made this was offering this two-day training for, for only $115 a day. <laughs> only, only $115 a day. What? But, but they were marketing this to Magic players thinking that this was an effective idea, an effective like group of people to go after with this. And they invoked Jace. I mean, that just says so much about Chase. Uh, And it's like a dark reflection, but that dark reflection has to pick up an aspect of the original object, right? So somewhere along the line, people see Jace as like the ultimate, the, the alpha male who got around like being a Chad and still got the girl. The alpha male for, for this, He's the alpha male for this community. Yeah, he is. He is the ultimate power fantasy. I a hundred fifteen dollars an hour. What am I doing with my life? Why am I even doing this podcast? I could just like (laughs) my own pick of artists. Wait, we don't have to pay you. (laughs) Awesome. Let's see if I can cancel that on my credit card. But yeah, no, it definitely shows and emphasizes that darker side of of this character, and and really throws into relief the rehabilitation and the excellent story work that was done during Ixalan to really bring about a much healthier, happier Jace. And it's just a shame that there's been no story since then, because we would learn love to see what happened <laughs> after he learns to be vulnerable into embrace the idea that masculinity can involve emotions and yeah and you can yeah. cry and people will still think you're cool and consent is hot consent is great yeah and and treating all the people around you like real people even if you don't need something from them what yeah i, I really just wish we had i wish we had more story afterwards but i guess we'll have to wait and see what kind of is going to be able to come out Oh my god. <laughs> Covering my face. <laughs> it's it's uh, kind of the it's the shame that there's it's my there's never been another Cranko because it would have been nice to see what he was doing on Ravnica, but we never got <laughs> any more about him. Yep. Oh well. Oh well. It happens. We we it go happens. back to Ravnica all the time. <laughs> we'll be fine. Yes, we'll be totally fine. Well, Michelle, I really want to thank you, man. We, I, we've been talking for, geez, like going on an hour and a half because you are very easy to talk to and always oh. have such <laughs> great insights. So I really want to thank you for coming back on. Um, you know, it was, this is a topic that I think uh, Alex and I have kind of been talking about confronting our areas of privilege a little bit more. And I can say for a fact that this 
is kind of an area that I probably, well, I'm not probably, this is an area that I did have to learn to challenge. I mean, I would say not the emotion piece. I've always been a very emotional person, but that idea of intelligence matters more than other stuff that my opinion should be given weight just because I want to have a debate with somebody no matter mm -hmm. what. These are things that I, you know, I had to have a journey. I'm, I'm 40 years old and I think about the younger parts of our community that maybe are experiencing this confrontation to their worldview and their power fantasies. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, it, no, it, it was thinking like, how do we help people to go from here? You know, that maybe coming up against this for the first time. And I know that the reaction or the, the, gut response to start with is to push back against it. I think a lot of, oh gosh. Um, so there are many different ways of going about this. Um, backing up just a little bit, like I, I hear you with regards to the um, intelligence being like the defining, the one defining trait that you feel like validates your existence <laughs> and, and sort of, you know, elevates it in, in some way. Um, in a sense, because like in my career, when I was at startups, um, really showing that I was intelligent, I felt it was the only way I could be taken seriously in a group of men, um, which was very annoying. I, with regards to challenging that, um, I think a lot of the ways we can try to combat this idea is through critical thinking. Um, if you, I don't know, my, my personal challenge is always like, if you think that you're as smart as you think you are, then hopefully you shouldn't be afraid to walk down that road of, I guess, intellectually picking apart this concept. Um, because at the end of the day, you want to have like a cognitive, you want to get rid of cognitive distance in your head. This is the only way that a lot of people can manage to exist, honestly. So lean into that, I guess, um, a discomfort. And I think this goes for a lot of things too, especially when you're doing ally work, like lean into that discomfort. If you think that someone is calling you out, um, if you think, if someone's calling you out for something, you know, examine, that logic, examine that reasoning and do it while taking that person at least somewhat seriously. Um, do it with the understanding that this other person is a person and not just some random person on the internet yelling at you. Like, even though I do get trolls who yell at me sometimes, I do a quick exercise in my head to go down that road and see like, do, is there something here that I miss? Um, part of being a good blue mage. I think part of being just a generally good person is a constant re-examination of your values and your philosophies and being open and willing to change in order to become a better person and a better version of yourself. If you're not doing that, then how intelligent can you really be? Um, and it's, it's not even just how well you scored on the SAT or what college you went to or university or how many degrees you have. It really becomes um, a question of how good of a person 
are you? And is there a way to constantly learn and be better? So I think as long as you centralize that desire, um, lean into that discomfort, approach things with an open mind, um, you should hopefully be able to at least take one step forward. And, and there's I a lot of other people out there who yeah. will help you. Yeah. And I will say that there, there are. And I mean, I think that that's one of the things to to recognize, especially in the age of kind of quick hits and social media that we have, is that your initial reaction of feeling uncomfortable is because that cognitive dissonance is being activated and we don't like to feel those things. Um, like the theory of even racial identity when it comes to being white is, is really that idea that the first stage is guilt and shame. And a lot of times reactions to guilt and shame become defensiveness and become pushing back because it does not feel good to feel that uncomfortable. And um, if you're open and willing to kind of explore these things and don't just respond with that defensiveness or own it, if you do it, you realize that you did something that was defensive, you know, recognizing that, taking that time if you need to step away and to discover this is something that is possible to do. It's not that this can't be changed these views can't um and those I, tools of of introspection can be useful for a lot of things i found myself working on my social anxiety is where i first started to really develop those tools of introspection and it's been very helpful in a lot of other arenas like this for me mm -hmm. Having, oh sorry please no, go no, ahead. You, you go ahead self-awareness is and self-reflection are some of the most powerful tools that, oh, well, sorry, my cat sneezed. <laughs> um, the, the, my, those tools are essential, I think, in becoming a better human. And I hope that if, if you take away anything from listening to all of this, all you listeners out there, like the, the worst sides of blue can be cured or not cured but at least ameliorated and mitigated by the best sides of blue um and empathy and compassion i think are, are are part of that so if you just nestle that inside your mind and in your heart hopefully hopefully you can move forward and that's our show for today you can find the host on twitter hobbsq can be found at hobbsq and alex newman can be found at mel underscore Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmug, the cast can be found at patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at Vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael can be found on Twitter at Steve Raffle. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.